Our true home is the closest zone, more familiar than Google Chrome. Hey, what's up? Where is your home at? Do you have a home? Do you dream of a home? What does even the word home bring to your mind? Does the word bring you to a place filled with rich and complex feelings? Or maybe to a place where you feel that all is just going to be all right? Or maybe it's the place inside yourself that you've spent your whole life searching for, longing for, perhaps unawarely so. You know that you need this place that is unique and special, that soothes the soul, knowing that you are where you belong. So how do you imagine this in the physical world? What does your home look like? Well, I'll tell you that for me, I like to maintain the romantic image of a home that I can build into existence in the most ecological manner. From this point, you and I might differ as to our individual approach, as it all depends on what's available around us and how we choose to consciously create our home into existence. Most times, ecological building has its roots in a tradition sometime in the forgotten past. And what's common amongst these building styles is that they are relatively easy and economical to build and are well suited to the needs of today's world. Thus, I bring to you a book that fantastically shows you how to build using one of the most traditional forms of house building. Ted Benson shows how this can all be done in Building the Timber Frame House. Om Gia, buenos dias. Welcome to Eco Village Library. I'm your host, Christopher Kinney, and I'm here to summarize for you great works being produced within the world of sustainable development, resiliency, eco village community, living, you name it. My background is in sustainable development and civil engineering. You know, I realized all this reading I'm doing, how can I make what I learn really stick so that I can remember all these great books like a switch, you know? Then it occurred to me that by having to produce a summary of what I just read or learned, I can retain up to 90% according to what's being said out there. Already a couple episodes in and I already start to see it. And by doing such, I can kill two birds with one stone and hopefully for you, the listener, some education and some entertainment. So I just finished reading this book about timber framing after being recommended to it by a friend of mine who built his own house using timber frames. Essentially, timber framing is building any kind of structure using harvested wood and joining them all together without any nails or hardware, but with joints. Now, a little bit of warning before you decide to dive in the world of timber framing is this world carries with it its own definitions, which can take a while or several repetitions to digest. Also, it's one of the oldest crafts around of which nowadays has been mostly forgotten. But somehow, we still have it within arm's length to bring it back like the molden times. Speaking of which, the archaeological record marks the start of timber framing as noted by the fashioning of joints from at around 200 BC, simultaneously in both Europe and Asia. And mind you, these early beginnings weren't necessarily primitive per se, 
as the stone temples of ancient Greece were originally made from timber until their replacement with stone. What really caught my attention with all this timber history were the ancient timber structures of Far East Asia, especially the shrines and temples which still stand today after thousands of years of big earthquakes and typhoons. You know, the builders quickly discovered that there were distinct advantages to the fibrous timbers and the hinge-like joints that connected them. You know, wood is very symbiotic with natural forces and very responsive, showing its strength and incredible resilience. If a building constructed from stone or brick wiggles even just a bit, it will crack or break. If made from timbers, and only shrugs. So because of this, the carpentry in ancient Japan especially was very serious business, and the craft was taken beyond the max, thus inventing, or better yet, discovering 400 plus ways to join timbers together. Now the author takes special note to urge not to experiment with new joinery or to try to invent joints out of the ordinary. Why? Because all the possible variations and trials have been tested through failures and successes over the span of thousands of years across the whole globe. To try and reinvent the wheel would be simply a waste of time and be dangerous. It would be simpler to achieve what is already possible by standing on the shoulders of giants, by learning from those who have lived and breathed the craft of timber framing and have blazed the path before us. Good thing that we've barely recovered what has nearly vanished from our collective knowledge. I don't know when or how the craft of timber framing was revamped, but what matters now is that we got it. There's no way of saying that timber framing originated from any certain place. It evolved over time, and a perfect example of this was when the Europeans came over to America. They soon discovered very quickly that timber frame buildings had to be built quite differently from what they were used to in Britain so as to adapt to the harsh North American winters. You could see these all still standing today along the eastern coast of the U.S., but unfortunately, the day of reckoning came with the Industrial Revolution and nearly wiped out the practice of timber framing once and for all. You know, buildings, building one's home or the town's church was a slow and deliberate work. It took time, attention to detail, and many helping hands. And for the most part, work was enjoyable. But then came the need for speed. Cheaper, faster, more was the motto that replaced the need for local craftsmen to build a home. Why have somebody do it, or in the case of timber frame, various people or a whole community, that would take forever to do when you could just leverage the convenience and efficiency of machines to do all the heavy lifting for you? Materials were no longer handcrafted, but rather shaped along with its limitations by our new machines. Many traditional crafts were forgotten forever, and that of timber framing was simplified into a very fast and efficient but faulty building method known as stud framing construction, which you can still see today as one of the most dominant building methods out there. Most likely, you're in a building right now that's been built this way. However, people as early as the 1920s started to begin to realize its shortcomings as quoted being a cheap and objectionable way 
of building that although can build a house within 30 days will more than likely not last quite that long. As the old saying goes, quick to come up, quick to come down. The deep meaning of a home built for your great grandchildren was largely replaced by temporary shelters and resales within a speculative real estate market. But now the demands of our current world are changing. And I don't know about you, but I really like the idea of having something more personal, you know, that takes more time and deliberation to create. I know many other people who want the same. As materials and labor and the ecological impact of modern construction all become very costly, building your own home from locally available materials seem more and more like the most viable path to take. Also, it may be tempting to think that Timber framing is very damaging to the environment by taking away more trees. But let me shine some light on this real quick. The ecological footprint of harvesting your own wood and building without materials that go through these intensive energy processes to create like many of the modern construction materials of today's world is like comparing droplets to big waterfalls. The issue is really in mismanagement and funky economics on a grand scale. Now, if you're in the middle of the desert and the nearest tree is miles away, then you may want to consider an alternative like Adobe, perhaps. But let's just say timber is available to you. How do you proceed? What's the procedure to follow? What are the skills necessary? This book here covers all of that and gets very detailed. For starters, the author very clearly points out that as we begin to learn the craft, the single most important responsibility we have is to pay attention to the lessons of the past. And the good news is that you don't need to go to no store to buy no nails that may fall, turn rusty and give you tetanitis, you know, all that. No, 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 no. You are the craftsman now. Your imagination and your thinking very well do transform into physical realities. You're the alchemist of not only the materials to build your home, but of your mind and spirit as well. So now we are planning the timber frame home, and this stage is vital for building with timbers. The entire frame, including all joints, must be designed before the first timber is cut. Now, here we go into technicalities. If you only enjoy the big picture for now, this may be a good ending spot for you. If you want to absorb the technical know-how and understand the terms and concepts of timber framing, please continue. So the key to successful timber framing is all in the pre-cutting. This includes the posts, the beams, and the braces. If your eyes are idle at the moment, I highly recommend looking up timber frame vocabulary and follow along and look where you'll find the posts, beams, braces, and such. You also might see the term bent, which is the structural network of timbers that make up one cross-sectional piece of the frame. The bent basically determines the shape of the house and defines its height and width. This comprises of the posts and beams being fitted and pegged together while still on the ground. The formation of a bent directs the forces of the roof, walls, and floor toward the posts. And the stability of these posts are reinforced with bracing and high-quality joinery. Typically, once these were ready, the whole bent was raised as one into place. 
you know, back in the day, people used ropes and poles and pulleys and many, 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 many people. It was a community-wide effort. It was common for the people in the area to come together to lend a hand where the master carpenter would construct complete bents of massive buildings on the ground prior to the raising. Although this was also a dangerous act which sometimes resulted in fatal injuries or death if somehow the bent fell backwards. You know, we're talking about thousands and thousands of pounds. In today's world, we currently find ourselves at a nice happy medium where we can adopt the best from the old traditional world and appropriate technologies of today's world. So in the case of raising a bent, utilizing a crane could actually be very appropriate in this situation especially if there isn't 50 plus people available to help raise the bent in a risky all or nothing lift. There are also other methods of putting together timber frames, but according to the author, the best system is the pre-assembly and raising of bents. You know, doing such would also reduce the crane time if you were using one. Now, every structure typically has at least two or three bents, which are, the, which are also connected together by beams, thus forming bays. You know, again, two bents tied together with beams equals a bay, which is the span in between two bents. And again, I highly encourage you to look at a visual. For me, I am an extremely visual person. I only learn by visuals or learn more effectively by that way. Um, and now one of the defining distinctions of timber framing from conventional stud framing of today is that there is no need for uh, sheathing or in other words nailing plywood or other kinds of panels onto the timbers. What's typically done instead is that the interior finished material and insulation are applied to the outside which protects the framework from the elements and weather and thereby allows the timbers to also define the interior architecture which I personally find to be very beautiful and majestic. Additionally, this leaves very little interior work to be done as compared to modern buildings. You know, once, once you got that um, outside finish on, you could, it could already be ready to move in. You basically set with an interior finish right off the bat. Now, there are millions of names for each kind of timber, which would make this podcast very monotonous very fast. So I'll spare you these details for now but encourage you to look at a diagram and learn the different kinds of the members. But I can walk you through more of the design process like coming up with a floor plan, for example. First, you know, in this situation, determine the basic overall size of your house. What will be the number of bedrooms and baths and the size of the living areas? This determination will give you the square footage. Then you decide on the basic shape uh, the structure of which all the variations are illustrated in the book. You know, he goes through many diagrams, graphics, imagery, just it's great. And after this, you know, after this step, um, you'd be able to determine the number of bents required. Um, and then you would draw a plan view of the frame and sketch a floor plan. Posts are shown as solid squares and overhead beams as dotted lines. Since the frame is self-supporting without walls, the partitions or interior walls can be placed anywhere you like. You'd ultimately want to make a floor plan work in a symbiotic relationship with the frame. And plus, there are many illustrations of example floor plans in the book as well. Now, proceeding further, we get into 
the defining characteristic of timber framing, which is the joinery. This is what a big portion of the craft is all about and what the author would coin as the heart of the craft. It's all about the shaping and the, and the fitting. You know, a finely joined and finished timber frame generally eliminates the need for otherwise expensive installations. But this also is the most time-consuming part as well. But again, more time spent during the construction most likely means more time that the building will last. We already see timber frame buildings built hundreds and some thousands of years ago still standing proud, whereas, as Ted Benson points out, the houses constructed by modern techniques just a few years ago are today's deteriorating slums. Are there any examples of this that you can personally think of yourself? Wooden joinery ultimately proves to be far outlasting than any introduction of iron-like nails and such, which only decrease the resilience and increase the wearing action on the joints. Wooden joinery tightly fitted and pinned together with a wooden pin is the simplest formula which responds to any force by hinging and bending rather than breaking or tearing. This is how the pagodas of Far East Asia, for example, have withstood centuries of violent earthquakes and typhoons. As mentioned earlier, there are a vast amount of joinery options depending on the timber frame. I highly encourage you to look up a diagram of common timber frame joints and also here in the book, many, many examples and illustrations are neatly shown with dimensions and the whole shebang. I will mention the most common joint of timber frame, which is called the mortise and tendon joint. It's a simple straight projection from one timber received by a slot in another. This type is best used within a bent. Back in colonial America, the mortise and tenon was almost always used as a brace because the tenon in this manner is always surrounded by wood. This type of connection helped to resist rotation and buckling and the rabbit hole here gets very deep very fast so i'll hold myself here in regards to joining because also learning timber framing is highly visual like i said you know a picture communicates a thousand words and just remember the wisdom you learn that is echoed through the ages as the author very poetically lays out now when it comes to actually obtaining your timber ted benson says this you don't just walk up to a timber and hack away at it. Instead, you learn to approach it with a sense of curiosity. The idea is to look it over, observe what you can. The story of the timber's life is told in part by the, the growth rings. Interpreting this tale will give some valuable clues about its mysterious eccentricities. Is the tree old or young? The older a timber may be, the more difficult it could be to work with, but it also is the most stable. Did the tree grow quickly or slowly? There are indications here about where and how this tree grew, and you will learn to become responsive to these subtle differences. The tight grain of the slow-growing tree seems more reliable and less likely to crush. There's more maturity. An observation of the growth rings will also tell you whether the timber is the heart of the tree or perhaps one of the quarters. This information will help you to determine 
how that wood will move and where to expect the most shrinkage. After we have properly chosen our timbers and are ready for connection, Ted highlights that the best allies to the timber joiner are his imagination and his respect for the wood. He must be able to picture the timber with the wood removed, revealing the joints, and envision that timber attached to the rest of the framework in the position for which it is best suited. The joiner should realize the significance of the timber itself. As each line is drawn, he is illustrating the destiny of a tree whose history probably predates his very own, whose rhythm of life was as real as his own. He knows, too, that when his job is properly done, the life of the timber will continue. It will shrink, swell, move, breathe, bear loads, resist winds, essentially doing the same work that it did when it stood in the forest. Only its location will have changed. Ted says that sensitivity is the key here. The relationship one establishes between himself and his work is personal. If an individual feels nothing at all in response to his work, no meaning, no magic, no romance, then he is in a sad condition. In a kind of job that to some people might seem dull and mundane, the sensitive individual finds meaning and purpose. In doing so, he elevates both himself and his craft. When you open up to your work, submit to it, allow it to move you and change you, then you will begin to notice that boredom is something that happens to other people. Do you feel you can do this right now? Whatever it is you're working on at the moment? If not, you know you got to find a way to change it and change it as fast as you can. Most of the time of our lives are spent working on something. And as Joel Salatin had once said, the biggest tragedy in life is to get too good at the wrong thing. Well, I'll leave it at that. That's all I got. Um, let me know what you th thought of this uh, episode. Um, any requests you want, any, any curiosities that are burning you. And in regards to timber framing or natural construction, what, what it is it that you have already planned for yourself or have you already built with timber frame perhaps or, or, you know, tell me a little bit about you, you know, um, you know, what environment do you find yourself? What questions or, um, you know, um, things you want to find out questions that, that you can't, can't seem to answer or that maybe you do know how to answer whatever it is please share i highly encourage you um, let me know what you think and um, until next time